Ahoy, mateys. This is Adrienne Barbeau, your nightlight, and you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And yes, genius, you can call me Billy. In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that never gets out of the bed. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're continuing our celebration of Women in Horror Month as we get contemplative and soak up some sour ground and talk Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery. But before we get in that, let me remind you, we are part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our past episodes at BoomHowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your dad's hole. <laughs> and if you are out on the social media, don't forget you can follow us along on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And as we continue... In the month of February here, mm-hmm. our celebration of Women in Horror Month, make sure, and listen, you know, it sounds cheesy, we, we do this in February, but ideally we want you to be doing this all year long. It, it kind of goes without saying, but yep. ultimately this is our chance to highlight women in horror. Our whole thing was to bring in some of our favorite women in horror to talk some of their favorite women in horror, and in doing so, we've had a chance to talk with some of our favorite people mm-hmm. and talk good horror movies. Exactly. This is going to be rad. This is. And you know our next guest. She is the author of Monster Squad, celebrating the artists behind the cinema's most memorable creatures. She is the managing editor for Daily Dead, and she is the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Corpse Club podcast. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead, Heather Wixon. Hello. Wow. I feel like I'm going to have to owe you a check after all of that. <laughs> Again, we are totally open for payola. We are. We have no shame, right? It's okay. I, at this point in my career, I kind of don't either. So I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so before we uh, soak up a little bit of the sour ground there, uh, please tell our listeners, where can they find you out on the social media at plug and promote away? Uh, gotcha. Yeah, basically, I only live over on Twitter because Facebook is evil, uh, and I'm too old to understand Instagram. Like, I don't understand why people want to see pictures of my dinner every night. So that's <laughs> probably best that I stay on Twitter. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter over at the Horror Chick. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the only place I really exist uh, in terms of all these different social media uh, places. I, I don't even know what half of them are anymore. I, I mean, is, is Grindr still thing? Is that even a thing? I, I, I can't know nothing. <laughs> I think if you just put an er at the end of something, it's legitimate. I'll, I'll have to check on my AOL account and see if I can <laughs> surf the webs. I think I still have one of those discs. Oh, oh God, yeah. So. I've, I, I can actually, I'll have internet once the apocalypse hits, you know, because I've got a stash of them. They're going to be beyond like or use coasters. use weapons. <laughs> One way I found a bunch of those when I moved years ago, and I was like, "Oh, these are great!" And then I realized, like, "Wow, there's a lot of people who still have those." So it's like it's like this relic that's going to be like, you know, people always joke that like you're going to like use ketchup packets to pay people in the future. It's going to be AOL discs, right? <laughs> Dude, stock up now while you can, kids. They're mint. Here, here, here. <laughs> 
I offer you safe passage for 60 <laughs> minutes for free. But again, um, I'm still, every Friday, I'm following along with you guys on Corpse Club, obviously reading a lot of the stuff on Daily Day. In fact, um, mentioned I really dug the last episode you guys did with Women in Horror. Uh, and, have, and I'll be honest, it was really funny. Uh, Genius is not a podcast listener, I am. However, you guys actually share very much the same opinion. And uh, Genius, I'm going to mention a movie, and I want to hear your reaction but what your thoughts, feelings, just in general, on the Babadook? Man, fuck that movie. Specifically, <laughs> man, fuck that kid. There you go. That kid just annoyed the piss out of me, man. I mean, to the point where I was like, God damn, monster eat him. You know, I don't like really. Sometimes I don't want to see kids die in movies, you know, unless it's a Stephen King movie, right? But at that one, I was like, Ugh. this movie needs a. Like humong- if she just would have given him over in the first twenty minutes, like it could right? have saved us all saved a lot of grief. Everything. Instead, you would have just had a wonderful horror short by Jennifer Kent. Right. <laughs> Instead of yeah, like- it's 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 a great movie that I will never watch again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. I just it's good to know. But immediately when I heard that, I just thought immediately to genius. I'm like, OK, good to know there are, you know, again, there are dozens. Because <laughs> it's actually I mean, I, I again, I like the movie itself, but I also kind of agree. The kid, it's the kid was just was jarring, it was just <laughs> jarring, yeah. you know. I don't yeah, wanna... our, con- our contingency might be small, but we're mighty in power. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, genius, you mentioned before, you know, you they should have off the kid. And that's something that you always technically can expect from anything involving one Stephen King, which leads us to our topic of today, which is Pet Cemetery. Heather, I'm curious, what's your background with it? What's your experience with it? You know, what is your relationship with Pet Cemetery? So Pet Cemetery uh, is a movie that I, I, I first, when the book came out, I stole the copy from my mom because uh, I used to steal all her Stephen King books. The first one I ever read was Christine. I think Pet Cemetery was like the third or fourth. Um, and it scared the crap out of me simply because at that point we had a cat and I was like, Oh my God, this, something's going to happen to this cat and it's going to come back and it's going to eat me. Um, (laughs) and it also, it was, I didn't get a lot of it. Like I didn't quite get the deeper themes that I think Stephen King was tapping into. I just knew that I was like, man, our cat's evil. Like what are we doing? And it, it was unlike anything I had read at that time because I was a little kid. Uh, but I do remember my mom got really excited because, you know, the 80s were sort of this really great wave of Stephen King adaptations. Uh, and I love that we're getting that again today. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is like it just it turns me into a kid all over again. And I remember we went and saw it in theaters and I liked it. And I thought the kid was like, you know, I thought Gage was absolutely terrifying. But I will admit I something felt off to me. Um, and I think it's a movie that I've really grown to appreciate more as an adult than I ever did as a kid, because as I got a little older and I'd be like, Oh, if I want to watch a Stephen King adaptation, it wasn't necessarily one of the first I would go to. And I think only as I got a little bit older in perspective and a tiny bit smarter, I just, I began (laughs) to realize what exactly, you know, Mary Lambert was doing with that movie that I, I definitely didn't catch on, you know, when I was a kid. It's a deep movie. There's a lot of like adult situations and adult emotions than normal, than what you would get to in the '80s as a horror coming out. And I remember this movie freaked me out when I first saw it, and I saw it in the theater. And the part that got me, and like it's almost still gets me to this day. And, it's just and, a. And I should say we are going to be spoiling the hell out of this yeah, film. Spoilers, so if you spoilers. haven't seen a thirty-year-old yeah. film, right? Right. That, that's on you. We're sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But like at the time, I my younger, uh, I we lived on a busy street, and uh, my younger brother was at the age of gauge, and then I was young. I was maybe about eight or nine when I saw this in the theater, and when I saw that, it just like scared me because like, what if this happens to me? Where the point where I like freaked out, I like started crying, and I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here, and I had to go to the outside of the theater and like calm down a little bit. So. Yeah, and like you said, when I think of Stephen King adaptations, I mean, I love this movie. I've grown over time to like, okay, I understand what's going on, what's happening, and to love this movie. But like, like you said, when I want like a Stephen King, it's not the first one I go to. Well, I think you both mentioned that this is very much an adult film. Yeah, this is one when I originally originally saw it. It was on a VHS uh, rental. I didn't see it in the theater. But it's one I when I was a kid, it I, I, it bored me a little. And, you know, we didn't get a lot of the gore I was expecting. That let's then uh, don't get me wrong, the gore set pieces in here are horrific. Right, but when you're like young, when, and when you're expecting, also I wasn't, I didn't read the book until mm-hmm. I was a, probably a teenager. So I went movie first, then the book. So I. I Absolutely, did it all the way wrong there. But it was one of those, like you guys said, the older I got, the more I grew to appreciate it. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I do not have kids. I don't think I really plan on having kids. And I understand, though, that once you do have kids, you see movies in an entirely different light. And I've always assumed this is one of those films that just completely changes with the inclusion of being a parent. It totally reminds me of this gag out of Family Guy. Where, like, when Brian finds out that he has a son, he's like, until you have a child. And so every time when somebody mentions it, he's like, oh, my God, you know, until you have a kid, yeah. you can't. You know, I'm like, oh, until we have a child. <laughs> like, I get it. And I totally agree. I'm, I'm not making light of any parents out there, obviously. Oh, yeah, no. That's... It's, it's, it's a tough gig that definitely changes you to your very core. And it should. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to me because, like, when I was, you know, younger and kind of watching this movie, it just seemed like. No, like the parents really didn't like each other. And I was, that always kind of threw me a little bit because I was missing like that heart. And then I realized like, as I got older, like these are two people and I'm almost assuming that Denise Crosby's character, Rachel was probably like a professional who kind of gave up her career to start this family with a doctor. Um, just because of like how well put together she is and these little hints that Mary Lambert gives us. And yet now, like, I see these things where it's just these little glances. And I have to really tip my hat to Dale Midkiff and Denise on that because the way that it's written, there's not a ton that really connects these characters super emotionally. But there's really subtle things that they do in this in their back and forth that very much sells me more on their relationship now than it, like, did, you know, years ago. And this is a film that is built around those relationships and what happens when... You know, you ignore things, especially in obviously all of, you know, with a lot of Stephen King, it goes into like guilt, resentment and a lot of those things dealing with grief. Yeah. And a lot again, a lot of those more adult themes. But it's and as again, as you get older and you do form relationship with others and you start to see those things and you see certain things in those performances that maybe are a reflection. You're like, damn, that could have been me or that it's. It's just that constant reminder and what I think Stephen King does well. And that should be a reminder also that he did. He wrote the screenplay Mm -hmm. for this film. So, you know, he's adapting his own work. But that's one thing that I think he always plays, too, is just that whole existential dread of, you know, what happens, you know, being alone, solitude, just all of those things. Or not dealing with death when it happens or just just, ignoring it. Yeah. Ignoring death. And, you know, I mean, or even or even that guilt of the relief, like especially with Zelda. Oh, Oh, yeah. 
That's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's such a really horrible thing for anybody to admit, but it's a very human emotion. It's very real. Um, you know, because I mean, there's a there's a lot that you know you you hold you know within yourself when you have somebody you know in your family who's very sick or dealing with like severe health issues, like because you know there's a part of you that wants to be selfless and help them and be mm-hmm. there for every step, and then there's a part of you that wants your life, and it's to- and I think. It was one of the first movies where I kind of realized, like, that he was saying, like, it's okay. It's okay to be a little selfish, you know, because there's nothing you can really do about it. Death's going to come regardless of, you know, what you're doing, you know. So it's it's okay to, to sort of struggle with those things. Um, and I think that's why the, the stuff with Zelda is always really interesting to me. But, but I do wish um, for his – I'm glad Stephen King did the – the the screenplay for it but i almost wish it wasn't because it's a pretty damn a faithful adaptation like almost beat for beat in some ways and i kind of wish he'd taken a little more risk because i do think that there's some set pieces that really could have flourished on the big screen and taken a little more time and some of them they feel like they just kind of pass especially like in that last 20 minutes so as uh, someone that is familiar with the book would you do you if given the choice, will you go back to the book or do you defer to the movie? Uh, probably book. Mm. I mean, ultimately, yeah. in service of the story, I think book. Um, but again, it's like the movie is still really good. Um, but it, and it's it's crazy for me to say that because heaven forbid we you know we change things <laughs> when we're adapting the screen because I know we're not supposed to do that. But in some ways, like there's some really dark themes that you know Stephen King is you know playing around with here. And things that work really well on the page, you can really push them harder on a visual medium. And I wish he had. I really, you know, and I do think, you know, once, you know, Gage comes back, like that last 15 minutes, you know, it just kind of flies back by really fast compared to the beginning of that movie that really takes its time and it settles in in this house and in this environment and with these characters. Um, and I just wish they kind of all felt like they were a little more balanced. Well, yeah, they they spent a lot of time with the backstory of the characters, especially even Judd. I mean, and and the story of uh, what was it, Pat, uh, the the old better man kid didn't come back right, you know. And he's with Timmy, yeah, <laughs> and he's the one that sets everything in motion, you know. And, and it's weird because you know it's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know. And I guess we, yeah. and we really even haven't we haven't touched upon um, you know the cast that's still the, well you you know I guess we talked a little bit about Dale Midkiff and Denise Crosby's performance but to me the two standouts just cast wise is Fred Gwynn and Miko Hughes um, Fred Gwynn obviously great pedigree and genre he's just he's he's Herman Munster he's, he's straight up Herman Munster but also the only one kind of given that. And what, why a lot of people still remember this movie and why some people will mock it, but that wonderful, just overdone main accent. It's, it's like the super drawl. It, it's the ground, the sour. <laughs> I mean, it's, and I, I don't want to make light of it, but it's like his face is trying to devour itself with just that draw. It is incredible. <laughs> he was like, he was meant for that role. He, he truly was. I mean, like, I, I mean, Lithgow's got some, we're going to talk about that later, mm-hmm. but that role was all him. I mean, just jawed and cat shouldn't be dead like that. You know? <laughs> it's 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 equal parts charming, but also a little bit menacing because you mentioned that he's the one that really plants the seed mm-hmm. and opens this whole thing of the pet cemetery. Um, but let's talk. Because if we could have, if he could have kept his mouth shut, 
you know we wouldn't even have a movie right. <laughs> or a book it's, yes uh but mary lambert i kind of want to talk a little bit about what she brought to the the movie itself but she started with music videos in a time yes. where people weren't necessarily clamoring for that i mean it was a new medium but my goodness you know not only is she part of my childhood with pet cemetery but looking back the artists she worked with uh, including like Madonna, Janet Jackson, Motley Crue. I mean, that's all of my childhood, especially on MTV. Yeah, it was really a time. I mean, you know, I'm I'm old enough to be <laughs> probably a few years older than you, so I could really kind of be in the middle of it. Um, but when when that like wave of MTV came around, like it was for one of my, it was just such a really fun time to be a music fan because you realize that music could translate into a different medium, and. I, you know, it was like I, I grew up with my mom always listening to different stuff. Um, like we talked about um, a certain other Stephen King movie. Like one of the first bands I remember even realizing was a band was ACDC because my mom played them all the time. Um, and one of the first songs I ever learned how to sing was Big Balls. Go figure. Um, unfortunately, I sang it a little too loud in a grocery store once. And then I my mom was like, you can't sing that anymore. Uh, but I was really good at it at like age three. So, but it's, so for me, like I was in the thick of all of this, like, cause I remember even cause I didn't have MTV where I lived. Like I had a babysitter who had it, but I had, there was like on like one of our like general broadcast stations at three o'clock every day or three thirty, they would play a half an hour block of music videos and you never knew what you were going to get. So we would always race home. And the first thing we would do is turn the TV on for music videos um, because it was, it was really fun and it was, you know, it was just nothing like it just hadn't been a thing before. Um, and I think for me, like the fact that she was involved with Madonna because Madonna had a really great sound and she, she was really starting to break on the fashion scene, but it wasn't until the, like a Virgin video came along where Madonna became a star. And so much of that is Mary Lambert, you know, mm -hmm. because she is the one who had to basically conceptualize and visualize all of this. And she, at that point, is really working with this sort of talent on the rise. But yeah, I think she's, I, I think her background really fit her well for this. Only because there's there's sort of a punkness to the way, to Stephen King's work. Um, even as, as gorgeous and as, as eloquent as it can be at times, there's still this little a hint of punk rock attitude to her, towards it. Um, and I like that. Like, honestly, if I'm sitting down and I'm watching, you know, an adaptation, like a Stephen King movie, I probably would actually watch Pet Cemetery before The Shining. And don't get me wrong, I mm -hmm. like The Shining mm -hmm. a lot. But it's dry. <laughs> and there's like this little hint of menace to what Mary Lambert does in this movie where you can tell she gets it and she's having fun. And she sets up the scenes so nice. And like we were talking about how it's been a lot of the backstory uh, building the characters, but everything she, the, the scope that she does is just a character in itself. The whole look of the pet cemetery and the feeling of dread that she causes and, and the gore set pieces and the, and, and the jump scares. Cause fuck that cat, that cat's, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that there's, there's a jump scare in there that gets me every time. And even when I know it's coming, it's when is he, it bath time, it's bath time, <laughs> it's bath time gets me every single time. Yeah, and you know what's really great, and this is something I don't think a lot of people really talk about because we're talking about like, women in horror and sort of bringing our own spin to the genre. And I think what's really fantastic is that, you know, this movie is made towards, like, the tail end of the, the 80s. And so we've spent, like, the whole decade of the 80s. And, that not, and not every movie does this, but a lot of the times 
female characters were basically presented as eye candy, as easy kills. You know, of course, you have your 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 different characters that you know tend to fight on. You know, the the Nancys, the Alices, you know, and, and characters like that. But a lot of times, you know, we're we're watching women being sexualized on screen. And what's so great about Pet Cemetery is that Mary Lambert's like, screw that. You know, this mm-hmm. is all going to be basically about Dale Midcast. We're going to put him in the bathtub. Every other movie, probably in 1989 that was a horror movie, would have opted to put the woman yep. in the bath scene. And Mary Lambert's like, no, we're going to put this guy in there. And it's going to be this sort of moment. And I, again, that's what I really appreciate about it is that she was coming into the genre at a point where we'd really kind of seen everything and done everything. And she... For as much as she could, because you still have to be, you still have to work within the confines of the story. Mm-hmm. But she really does a great job of being like, well, this is what you're expecting, but guess what? It's going to be the husband that we're going to be putting in the tub, and this is going to be the husband who's going to be dealing with the weight of his family issues. It's not going to be the wife, and that's not to say that we shouldn't have that. But it was nice to see something different. Yeah, it's interesting because he does play more of the griever. Uh, while she and I, I guess in a lot of the goes back to her relationship with Zelda, but just that whole uh, denial thing, she's the more stoic one. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely kind of a gender reversal there. And like you said, you don't see that a lot in horror. So it is always nice and refreshing. And I'll say this as someone that I myself is a little bit more prone to hysterics. I, I can appreciate it. And she's dealing with a fucked up family, too. Oh, good Lord. Because that her family is awful. The, the dad, uh, that entire yeah. that entire funeral scene. I can't tell if it's equal to me. It's like equal parts horror and camp because it's just so over the top. We were kind of joking about it. It's almost like that scene from clerks when they're talking yes, about, you know, right? Caitlin Bree and their fucking body fell out. That's just like, <laughs> Oh my God. And it just, it's awful. Cause it's like it's, it's at this funeral for a small toddler oh. and like the dad starts shit, but he and, was a continuous shit stepper. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just like well, first, the- of all, first of all, for clerks, Caitlin Bree was actually the one who was going to marry the Asian oh, design, design major. If I can nerd out, oh no, you're right. Uh, um, oh, yeah, wait. it oh. was their their other friend. But um, but what's interesting about that scene, like first of all, like, that dad, he is. I mean, anybody who keeps a creepy ass portrait right. in his house, right? Like, I love that portrait. I if I could put that in my house, I would because I love how weird it is. And again, that's the that, that that's the thing. That makes me realize Mary Lambert was trying to have some fun and, but it wasn't like this big overt way. She never strayed from the tone of the, of the story. Uh, but there's some really interesting, crazy little things But that. Yeah. That, that, uh, that scene with the funeral and you see the tiny little hand Bob in the casket. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, oh my God. It's horrible. It's just, uh, it's gut wrenching. And I'll say that I'm curious, both of you, Genius uh, and Heather, your opinion on it, but the scene that leads us to the funeral, obviously, is the one that really kind of does set everything in motion. Mm-hmm. And Genius, you said it pushed you out. But of you it. don't see anything. No, and that's the, this is for, for except for the Pascal and Judd and, you know, towards the end, it's a relatively bloodless yeah. movie, but it's still effective and scary. And it's all the, it's how she did it. It's how she directed it and shows it like where she didn't have to show it. But you still were a punch in the gut. That one little tiny bloody shoe yep. is like, yep. I, and there's no way to get that out of your head. Nope. There really isn't. And it's horrifying. It's still horrifying. 
And it's it's interesting because like I'm a grown up who doesn't you know I'm I'm pretty desensitized and cool horror movies don't get to me, but I'll tell you every time when I watch the movie I always catch my breath as he's running to the street mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's in my head where I'm like oh he's gonna get him this time every, yep. and you just and you just hold your breath and you're like oh shit okay and then that little shoe comes in and you're like oh man and I think again in '89 I there's no way you could have shown a mangled toddler in a movie no. no. You know, and I think it was a really smart way to sell that impact because, again, it's always scarier when you're imagining it than mm-hmm. when you're actually seeing it. Well, especially if you've been raised on Stephen King books, you know, you have that just horrific imagery already implanted in your head. And then when he comes back, she does a fantastic job. Mary Lambert does a fantastic job of making something sweet and innocent, scary and terrifying. Just when, like, uh, he's coming down this uh, laughing, I want to play with you. And he's not even, <laughs> and even when he's I not. <laughs> I was gonna say I was just impressed that he could dial the phone to call his house. <laughs> I never thought about that. His Stephen King speed dial, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've always been like, how does he know his phone number? What a smart kid! Could you qualify this as a killer kid flick? Could you totally? Put that... Okay, okay, mm-hmm. because he does play a creepy little kid, and you know your film He's can scary. make or break it on his. And I thought he played the performance wonderfully. Mm-hmm. If you guys think about it, and I'm not, I don't want to give anything, but you were talking about this thing that you were doing. Are you going to be announcing that before this goes live or no? No. <laughs> no, but I will say this. We are going to refer back to this episode. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I was going to say, because this, this movie actually ticks off all three boxes if you think about it. Yes, it does. Oh, it really does. Yes, it does. Oh. oh no, no. Oh, wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yes, it does. It's the ultimate movie now. I will just say this. Ladies and gentlemen, in the month of October, we will be pouring one out for Miss Heather Wixon <laughs> in her brilliance of making a byline through line of horror. That's awesome. Holy smokes. <laughs> I've just totally set you guys up. Yeah, um, that's... But, but it really Boom. does. I do wish, I, because Miko is so good in this, I wish we had more. Of, mm-hmm. of evil gauge because it's so creepy and it is so unsettling uh, i mean obviously when you're working with a with a child that small like you have to limit the amount of time you have them on st- and you know you're shooting them and working with them but like i i mean gosh i would have liked at least another five minutes of that because yeah. i felt like it just he's back grabs a scalpel and then boom 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 we're at the end and you know dale's playing you know solitaire in the kitchen you know with this clock set um, and I wanted more of that. Like, I wish it had sort of let it breathe a little bit and had, had, you know, had it just let it do its thing because it's so damn creepy. And that kid is so good. And I remember I did a, I did a pet cemetery reunion panel a few years ago at flashback weekend and they were all there. And I, you know, I asked Miko because he was so little, I was like, you know, do you even remember it? And he's like, honestly, I remember barely anything. He's like, I remember Fred Gwynn. I remember playing a lot. And he was like, but I, you know, everybody's worried that I was like this totally scarred child. He's like, I don't remember hardly any of it. You know why he didn't remember it? Because in the end, when he gets the shot, he bops his head right on that wall. That was the thing. thing. And there's another one, too. There was two, like, I think the real bops. When Dale Midkiff is rolling off the bed after the night and then he bam, bams his head right on the uh, end table. I don't think that was... In the script, I think that was an accident. And Mary Lambert was like, "It's great, keep going, keep going, keep going." So, uh, who was on the panel that year? It was Denise, uh, Denise Dale, Miko, and 
Oh, I want to say the gentleman who played Pascal, and I'm totally blanking on his name right now. And um, I'm pretending to not look it up, but I'm totally looking it up. I'll look it up for you, Brad Greenquist. Brad Greenquist. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, Brad. Uh, but yeah, so it was them. Uh, Mary was actually supposed to be there, but she ended up having to work. Oh. So, but it was pretty fun. It was it was interesting because I asked Miko because I'm such a nerd about New Nightmare, and I heard this story <laughs> on some VH1 show like 15, 20 years ago about how his parents actually bought the playground set from new nightmare because they were going to demolish it and put it in their backyard. And they really did. Oh, that's super cool. Now, now he can go to the top of the the thing whenever he wants. Now he'll be fine. Yes. Now he's really, especially now he's a little taller, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, no, he actually said new nightmare was way more traumatic for him than anything he did on pet cemetery. Yeah. I can imagine that. I mean, if you're going face to face with Freddie, it's, well, I heard they took really like good care of him, and she made. And you know what? She was. I saw the uh, the commentary, and she was saying how uh, she didn't want anybody, any him with any scenes of blood in there, which I thought was really cool. You know, and yeah, you don't want to like really Stephen King a kid, you know, mess with their mind and stuff. But good props on the special effects, though, because there were some scary kills, and I can just swear that cat was real, like. <sighs> That was another heart-wrenching scene when the, the dispatching of uh, Church. And uh, this was the, probably the hardest rewatch for me because about a year ago, I also had to part ways with my kitty. And I was had been putting off watching Pet Cemetery. In fact, I was started watching that. There's a um, give a little shutter shout-out here. Uh, but there's that little uh, documentary that they, was put out on Pet Cemetery. And I had started watching it, but it was just too soon after that. I was like, oh, I can't do it. So I will say this time watching it, though, I, I felt more at peace with it. And something that uh, just real quick, Heather, is poor, the kitty, my cat kitty, loved messing with genius. Mm-hmm. And two <laughs> movies in particular. Yep. It was Pet Cemetery and Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> nice. So yes. like. During Tales from the Dark Side, like, I'm over here, and when the cat comes out of the mouth, spoilers again on Tales from the Dark Side, the cat kitty jumped on me, and I go, whoa, like that. And she did the same thing during the bathtub, the bathtub, scene, the bathtub yeah. scene. Like, right when, and I have a thing against rats in the first place. Like, that's one of my, like, triggers. And so when the when the rat jumped in the, the bathtub, kitty jumped on me. I must have like jumped five feet in the air, like go. She had impeccable timing <laughs> mm-hmm. to mess with you. So like, watching this was very, very cathartic. And mm-hmm. I, funny enough, tell just in terms of the karmic retribution, you were rewatching this today, correct? There, genius. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> so I'm rewatching it today, and because I'm just getting ready for the show, and I wanted to watch Pet Cemetery, right? And it was the first introduction to Zelda when she's like turning around and like, yeah, I get a text from Greg and it was just so quiet. She turned around and it was just perfect timing. I go, whoa, made me jump. So I'd like to think my text channeled the spirit of Kitty to mess with you one more time. You made it twisted like me. Well, we we're this far into an, an episode on Pet Cemetery, and we've just really kind of uttered the Z word here. But I think this is probably the most triggering thing for many of us. And what really scarred us is the visions of Zelda. Honestly, like Zelda freaked me out, but I think the cat was worse. Although I have to give a shout out. If I'm, if we're talking about Zelda, I have to give a shout out to my horror BFF, um, Patrick, because <laughs> Zelda is like his thing. Like he hates Zelda 
like <laughs> so much. Like it's it, it's 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 basically like if you're if you're trying to get DC fans to like Marvel, it's it just isn't going to happen. <laughs> um, and I remember with the year that they had the reunion flashback, they actually showed Pet Cemetery that weekend, and I was just waiting for all the Zelda stuff. <laughs> And I'm like, I've never seen a grown man squirm as much as he did. Like, I'm like, you're he's a year older than me. And he was squirming during Zelda. And I'm saying all of this out of love because he's my, my BFF. But, like, it was just really funny. And then I'm not even joking. So, like, that Sunday night after the convention ends, I went and met my friend and her daughter for pizza. And I pull into the parking lot. And I shit you not, I parked my car next to a car with the license plate Zelda. Whoa. <laughs> and yes. I took a picture and I said to Tim, I'm like, she's coming. And he was like, stop it. And the- it's so, he's terrified. So if you if you get him on your show again, you got to make sure you give him the Zelda treatment because oh, it's it's amazing. Did you get the twisted breadsticks? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got I got the Zelda. Yeah, he got the Zelda. The Zelda. <laughs> Well, I always I the blue dress special. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I always remember, you know, they checked you for the whole spinal meningitis thing back. At, or was it spinal meningitis that they would check you for in elementary school? I got checked I for got, a lot of things. Or is that? I got checked for uh, scoliosis, scoliosis in junior high. That's what it is. That's it. I knew it was one of those S words there. Mm-hmm. But I, I always had then a really weird connection with this film when I heard, you know, she, they mentioned that she suffered from that. And my... I think I saw this when I was a teen, but that my brain made that connection. So it's just like, oh my god! Anytime I felt like they did that kind of examination or whatever in school, I was like, they're gonna, I'm gonna become a Zelda, and it's just like, oh, this is just <laughs> oh, no. like it's the Legend of Zelda. Yes, yeah, shit <laughs> takes a darker turn. And I'll tell you what, I always like squirm when I my Achilles always he, uh, oh, tends to oh. hurt during that scene because that's a rough, that's a good oof. That's a, that's a that's a good tendon moment. Like I that's one of my things too. Like I have three things. I can't deal with eyeball trauma, Achilles tendons and teeth. Um when those yeah. things happen, I'm just like, "Oh no. No." And it's like you could chop somebody's head off and I'm like, "Cool." But you slice somebody's ankle and I'm like, "Get the hell out of here with this." So I I take it have you seen Marathon Man by any chance? Oh my gosh. I like it's so funny cuz I actually watched that uh, a couple times when I was a kid. Because of Terry and the Isles, because that was in there. Yep. <laughs> um, but I just, again, we were talking about Hulu. I actually just noticed Marathon Man is on Hulu right now, Ooh. and I added it because I haven't watched it probably in 15 years, but I am a big fan. Yeah, it's uh, just remember, just remember, is it is safe? It safe? Oh, oh. <laughs> so horrifying. Those three magic, magical words. Well, that's, I realized I knew I had a good dentist when I mentioned that, and she, she just kind of looked at me, rolled the eyes like, you're not the first one, buddy. I'm like, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> You're uh, like, I am clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really triggered a lot of people, Zelda. But I think, and we're eventually going to get into kind of what our thoughts on the remake are. Uh, but Heather, you're kind of uh, curious to see what could they have included in the film that was excluded from the book. And I, and again, but that might they might do into that with the remake. But what could they have added? Do you think that would have maybe enhanced it? I'm really trying to think. Um, I actually just started rereading it last week because I know the movie's coming up and stuff. And so I, I actually had downloaded it on my Kindle for when I was going to Sundance because I thought I'd have a little extra time there, but I hadn't. So I started last week. Um, but honestly, I mean, it's like, for me, because last time I read the book, I might have been like nine or ten years old. So the wow. book and the movie kind of are this amalgam in my head where it actually kind of happened to me with Salem's Lot, too. Mm. Um, there was like those kind of merged together for me for a long time until I reread Salem's Lot last year. 
Um, so I'm just diving in back into the book. So I don't, I don't really, I don't really remember much. I remember like sort of the Judd backstory stuff was a little more prominent, but yeah, I'm, I'm, it's to me, they kind of have meshed together where they're sort of almost interchangeable. Maybe that's when I'm when I'm being a jerk and saying that I feel like the adaptation is too faithful. Maybe I'm totally wrong and I'm completely <laughs> misremembering and everyone's gonna go online and call me a jerk. But um, but I think they're pretty they're pretty similar. I want to say I don't think there's any like even the ending I think is is pretty close. I know in the book they talked about when Gage comes back, he's more gruesome. He's more yeah. like he's more like like he got hit by a truck. Do you think that would have um it's made a big a big difference in it? I think it would have, but I'm okay that they didn't yeah. because mm -hmm. I, do you want to see a tiny two year old looking like that? Like, <laughs> um, and it's interesting because you guys talk about like the special effects, and I, as I've been working on all this stuff, I, I've actually talked to the person who is the main effects person on Pet Cemetery, um, who happens to be David Lee Roy Anderson, um, who would go on to he actually worked on a ton of Wes Craven stuff. Uh, him and Heather Langenkamp have been married for decades now. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes, and speaking of New Nightmare, he <laughs> technically has a movie about his life, although he is living, so it's okay. <laughs> but he talked about, like, they, they had a lot of discussions about the character of Gage and how far they wanted to take it, because it was going to be, I mean, again, and you're talking about 89 standards, too, mm -hmm. which are much different than what we've sort of grown accustomed to over the last, you know, decade or so. And there were some discussions about how far they were going to you know, push it. And I remember you mentioned earlier, like, you know, Mary Lambert saying, you know, we don't want blood around the kid. And that I, that was probably the biggest mandate was that they just, they didn't want a gory little kid because mm -hmm. it would be too disturbing for some people. And they probably would have had, like, again, it's one of those things when you read it, it's really affected, affected like that way. But when you show it, it's going to be a completely different thing. And I'm kind of glad, you know, in that way, they sort of pulled it back. But I do think, like, the, the Pascal stuff, I remember being a little gnarlier in the book. But, yeah, I think, Gage, I think I'm okay with it. And I don't know, like, because I know now for the remake, they're kind of switching things up yeah. a bit. So I don't know how that's going to work um, now that it's not Gage. Yeah, and quite honestly, the one of the still things that I love most about when he comes back is when he dons the little top hat <laughs> and the cane. Oh, my God, how cute is he? I want a doll of that. Like the picture. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he's like he's, but he's like the cuter version of that creepy right. ass <laughs> portrait. He's, he's still creepy, just creepy light. He's still yeah. pretty adorable. And that's what's and, and I'm glad they did that because it's a less is more aspect. Yeah. He wouldn't have been as adorable and at the same time menacing if he was like Bleh, you know, he'd yeah. be like, Ew. You and know? how great how great is the no fair line. I oh, love yes. that line so oh. much. It there's so much like a little tiny like you're just like, Oh, I wanna hug you, but you're gonna kill me. Right. It's heartbreaking and like yay, evil is vanquished, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but also you're like, it's also nap time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's, the, dare I say, the Wendigo in the room here that no one's talking about um, that might be touched upon in the remake. But the whole idea of the Wendigo and this kind of driving evil force that you find in the book that is kind of touched upon a little bit. In, yeah, uh, they kind of gloss over that once they, you know, Judd gets him out to the, the burial ground. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, though, just to see. What if, you know, how much they put of that in the um, in the remake? And do you remember, you know, any kind of specifics from the book regarding that whole concept? 
Honestly, if I do, I mean, it's it was being filtered through my 10-year-old brain. Right, right. So I probably just realized it was ancient burial ground, like Indian burial ground. And that's, I think that's probably yeah. all that's really resonated with me. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be a poltergeist thing where it's not even ancient Indian burial ground at this point. I'm not sure. But yeah, no, that was, I, I think, you know, I think it was more of a thing because it, it might have been like almost a chapter where they talked mm-hmm. about like it went way back in the past. God, am I remembering that wrong? No, it's, again, it's, it's I, Stephen King. It is, yeah. I bet Stephen King might remember things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think... Damn, it's, it's all that cocaine. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> I think, again, it's more like the less is more type yeah. thing, you know, because yeah. it, it played it scary. Plus, it's like, it's the old Indian burial ground, you know? Everybody knows the ground is sour, you know? You yeah. don't, you and, don't... and you just need him saying it. You don't even need to hear the whole shebang because mm-hmm. you know it's Fred Quinn. And yeah, when you, when he's giving you exposition, actually, I'm good listening to it for the entirety of the right? film. But listen, I you know going through there, um, kind of doing some research. I was going online, which is never a good place to go to to hear opinions and so forth. But because oh, no. I was always under the assumption that this is a just a universally beloved film. But it turns Ooh. out, yeah, it's a, there's there's some haters out there of Pet Cemetery. Really? Yes, really, really. So I'm gonna throw it out to both of you. I've got some critiques of what I most of what I've heard here. So I got kind of want to hear your rebuttals on this because I also am like, nah, nah. Um, first thing I hear is bad acting. It's it's a little. I mean, here's the thing. It's they're not completely. Wrong, but I would not say it's bad acting. I think it's it's two characters are almost emotionally stilted in different ways mm-hmm. who don't quite know how to connect and communicate. And I don't even think you really see that warmth between them until she really lays out the Zelda scene for him. Yeah. And you, that's where you kind of see them starting to warm up together. Um, I, I mean, I get it because that's kind of how I felt. Like I was like, oh, it's this very, there's like a woodenness to that relationship through a lot of the film. Where I'm almost like, does he even want to bury his wife and bring her back? But as an adult, like, I'm like, oh, no, that's just these people and where their characters were at at this point. And we have to see them have this conversation to get them to this other point. Yeah. And I would say, ultimately, I, 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 and it's one of those things that, yes, I would agree they might be the weaker of the bunch. But it's not to the point that it takes me out of the film. No. And that's what I don't understand. They, people are just saying, no, 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 it's horrible. I think Judd did, did, did a fantastic job. And I think... Um, the the main man, uh, Dale. Dale, thank you. My, my main man, Dale. My Midkiff. main man, Dale Midkiff. <laughs> <laughs> he grieves well. Yeah. You know, yes. That was a earnest. No, you know that was a good one. God, who who doesn't love a good slow mo yell though? Right. <laughs> uh, that was so music video there. It, yeah. That is such yeah. a music video moment, and I love it. You could have inserted Janet Jackson in there; it would have given the the same effect there. Now, this is a this is one that befuddles me, but I've heard people say that the film itself it looks cheap. What? What? Thank you, thank you. I what was, again? Another one that I'm like, are you kidding me? It is not. It's not like it's on shot on Super Eight. It's they, it's people. A... I heard they said it looked like it was a made for TV film. What? There's some beautiful crane shots in there. Mm-hmm. Some overhead that really sets the space that they're existing in even beyond the house and with the, like that i don't agree with whatsoever no no and even like the truck scene itself is wonderfully done you know as horrible as it is 
it's a wonderfully done shot scene. It's good. Like, what do they need? The truck to blow up? Like, right? There's other, there's other Stephen King movies for that. Like, what do they mean by cheap? It's a, I, I don't know. Again, again I, yeah, production design, apparently. They just said it looked like it was should have been made, released on TV. That's the Please. that's the critique I've read. I mean, there was one that was on TV, wasn't there? Like a, no, 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 no. I'm thinking... <laughs> they're gonna do another Stephen one of King the adaptions, right? <laughs> and then the final one, one that I saw more overwhelming, uh, was that it's boring. What? Ooh, youngsters, <laughs> youngsters. Well, are these the same people who think Halloween is boring? And that's yeah, and that's just, I, I, I it's interesting because I don't think of this film as a film that's old, Mm-mm. but technically, it's thirty it years is. old. And it's like, oh, shit, okay, I'm a little bit older now, and I understand sensibilities for people do change with a lot of these films. So I think, you know, you take the time to get to know the characters. There's, you know, dread beans, you know, laid out just wonderfully. But, you know, you don't get those explosions. You don't get those crazy set pieces. But I don't think this this is a film that doesn't call for that. Mm-mm. You know, this is a film that is it's all about, about grief. Yes. It's about grief. It's about loss and suffering and what happens when you don't deal with it. And I think the people who say that it's boring aren't either paying attention or haven't had that much grief. Yeah. You know? And I think for me, like, it was the first movie where, like, this idea of, like, kids, like, because I'd seen, like, kids in peril before. But it was, like, the first movie, like, as a kid where I became keenly aware of, like, oh, shit, I could die. Like, and I was, and that's a horrifying thing when you're little because you're little. Yeah. And that's not supposed to be a thing. Like, we're supposed to, we grew up believing we're safe. And everything's going to be fine. And you realize, like, oh, my God, like, literally, life can throw a semi-truck at you at any given moment. (laughs) And you're done. That's it. And you can be two years old. You can be 200 years old. But, like, uh, if you're 200 years old, you know, then you have a coming. But it was, like, one of those. And I think it was startling to me in that instance where it was just, like, wow, like, wait, so something bad could happen to me? Like, that's that's not good. Not fair. That is that's a terrifying idea. Yeah, that truly is not, not fair. fair. Not fair. <laughs> not fair. <laughs> well, and it, Mary Lambert, she's one of the rare directors that actually followed up and directed the sequel, which I thought was kind of refreshing. And I had a chance. I've watched the sequel recently. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say this. It's more fun than the original. But again, that's but the original's not, not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, a lot of things could be more fun. Than, uh, or what are your guys? Uh, Genius. Have you seen that one in a while? It's been forever. And it, I think it was I haven't even seen all of it. OK. Is that more of an I've seen that? Yeah, that's more of an I've seen that. How about you, Heather? I just remember because I was, you know, I was a normal kid. So, of course, I was like, oh, Eddie Furlong, because he just had come off of like T2, T2. I think, mm-hmm. at this yeah. point. So, I mean, that was clearly what I was showing up for. Um, but, as we, you know, as we discussed, like, I know um, it's on Hulu now. And it's it's something I'm going to revisit soon because it was, like, one of those things where I realized I was like, oh, yeah, and the guy from ER is in it. And, of course, you know, the always awesome Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think mathematically it's impossible for there to be a purely bad movie with Clancy Brown. <laughs> so I'm going to already call it a success based on that. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Is Clancy Brown the Judd? He, no, he's – well. He, yeah, it's it's a different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah. You, okay. The reason I'm glad this one is coming out soon that we're talking about this is we have a remake coming out, and the remake is done by the directors of Starry Eyes, which was actually our first very episode. First episode. Yeah. Um, so Heather, what are your thoughts? And obviously, we've only seen 
um, two trailers, but based on those tra- trailers, what are your thoughts on the remake itself? Yeah, so it's uh, if I'm being a nerd, I wouldn't necessarily call it a remake. I would just call it like a new adaptation, kind of like when you do something different with a Shakespeare movie. So I'm I'm not really thinking it's going to be. I don't, I'm not going to compare it to Mary Lambert's film. I'm going to take it back to the book. And clearly, based on the second trailer, they're they're doing things a little differently. This, and I'm not. I don't I don't know why. But I'm curious to find out why. Because, I mean, I trust those guys. I love Starry mm-hmm. Eyes. And I think, you know, they're really talented. And so I have to trust that if they're doing this, there's a really good reason for it. I don't know what it is yet. It makes me really apprehensive because I feel like we're going to miss out on sort of the that sort of wickedly, you know, morose thing of like watching a you know a killer toddler on the loose Mm -hmm. but i am curious to see exactly how it will play out i do think some of the visuals have been really great i love seeing john lithgow because he's amazing Mm -hmm. um and yeah i'm just really curious i i'm really nervous um but i'm i'm excited like i think i was more nervous about it than this Mm -hmm. because it i was just like oh man i really want them to get it right Mm -hmm. this one because now we know that the, the the game is changing I don't know. Where, I really don't even know what to expect. So I'm I'm very anxious to see where 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 it's taking us. I'm excited. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it because it looks creepy, and even though with the old switcheroo and stuff, like you said, it's not so much like what the hell is this shit. It's like I wonder where this is going. It's more of a curiosity thing. But I'm going in with um, not high expectations, but hopeful intentions. And I think the casting of John Lithgow as Judd is inspired. <laughs> I think if there's someone, yeah. if there's one person that could pull off a f- better than Fred Gwynn, not better than Fred Gwynn, we'll see. But a Fred Gwynnian person. Well, and we've heard the phrase "dead is better" in the trailer, and it's not he's not doing a Fred Gwynn impression. He's mm-hmm. making it his own, which mm-hmm. I'm glad because otherwise it's been parodied so many times on this show too. Well, I mean, course, especially yeah. on the. Dead is better. We just opened it up right out the gate. So and, and it's it's said lovingly, obviously. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm I'm also looking forward to the remake. Um, going in with lower expectations, but ultimately I want I want to be scared, and I think they're going to really deliver that. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, what I'm I'm most excited about is the fact that Christopher Young is doing the score. Oh, really? Um, who is you know obviously behind oh, Hellraiser yeah. and some really great movies. I think he did Urban Legend also. And I love his stuff. So I'm really curious to see what he does with this. That's, that's already elevated then. That's so much. Well, and then ultimately, you know, with the original and the, the closing song in Pet Cemetery, and we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the Ramones. Know, the Ramones, yeah. yes. Growing up as a metal fan, you know, I knew punk. And when you hear that, you could, normally we'd get like, Alice Cooper, Megadeth, you know, in our horror film. So it was kind of nice to get the punk I, sensibilities. I want to be buried in a pet cemetery. It just gets in your head and it's great. It is. I'm curious, like, what her exact connection to them was, because I don't think she ever worked with them professionally. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys know, but I don't know the actual connection between Mary and the Ramones, but I think it is an inspired choice. I think it actually is was Stephen King was the one that okay. had the hook up with it. Yeah, he was a fan of the Ramones and he had them over to his place. Literally, they saw the script and I think I can't remember whoever the songwriter was, the group, but came up like three hours later and was like, here's the song. I think uh, Mary Lambert and Dee Dee Ramone were friends. 
Um, so as we wrap things up here, you've mentioned kind of your love of Stephen King. So if you could, what are now these don't have to be your top, but give me three of your favorite. If you're going to tell our listeners three really good Stephen King adaptations, which one should they watch? Gosh. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be like everybody's best, but I think my, my top is always going to be Salem's Lot. I, I love that movie so much. Um, and I think it's, it's something very special and really set the bar for what miniseries could be, especially based like horror miniseries in general. Another one that I watch a lot is probably Silver Bullet. Yes. Piss yeah. on the Yankees. Piss on the Indians. Piss on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who does not love Uncle Red? <laughs> Uncle I mean, Red. it's like it's Corey Haim and Gary Busey. It's all my favorite things. Jesus. Um, jump, jump, and Everett McGill. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Creepy preacher. Yes. Like, I don't know how that guy rolls into town and nobody suspects him. <laughs> like, he's just oozing like I did it. Like, he might as well have had it, like, written on his back. Um. So, the, yeah, so those are two. And then my third is probably Christine. Oh, yes. And I and it's interesting because I actually just reread Christine last year, too. And I, I honestly, I do prefer the John Carpenter film to the book, which some people find blasphemous. But I feel there's some elements... Like, it goes a little too far with the supernatural and introduces the idea of ghosts and, like, sort of, like, kind of ghouls and stuff like that. And I like the fact that Carpenter just really leaned in to the car yeah. and really made the car that focus. Because it's, 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 she gets a little, her, her focus gets a little split in the book. Um, so I like that, you know, Carpenter kind of did, like, a little bit of laser vision and was like, no, the car is the thing. Um, but, yeah, so those are, like, my three. And it's appropriate that you talked, Christine, as we kind of close here, because uh, those of us have been lucky enough to see John Carpenter live. He uh, has that yeah. great little closer. Uh, you know, it's a watch out there tonight. Christine might be on the road. So again, thank you again, Heather, for uh, coming on, talking uh, Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery. Uh, please, again, where can our listeners find you out on the social media? Uh, I'm over on Twitter uh, at the Horror Chick, um, but yeah, it just also for anybody who might be interested, because I know we're talking about '80s horror. Um, I have had the distinct pleasure over the last couple months to be working on the team who's doing uh, this documentary called "In Search of Darkness," uh, which is this huge celebration of '80s horror. And Ooh. we did a really successful ki uh, Kickstarter back in October to kind of launch everything. And I just want to let people to know to keep an eye out um, um, for '80s horror doc. On Twitter, or you can even go to uh, 80shorrordoc.com. Uh, we have something very special coming in March that I think if you're somebody who grew up loving 80s horror, you know, eventually found 80s horror and fell in love with it, uh, it's definitely something you're going to want to check out. Um, it's been a total honor for me to be involved with it. Uh, David Weiner, who used to be with Famous Monsters, he's been he's directing it. And I think it's going to be something really special. And I'm very excited for fans to kind of see what uh, we've been putting together. That sounds rad. I am sign me up. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take a big old <laughs> slug of the Kool Aid there. Um, so again, thank you for for again coming on. We're looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, until next time, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee, and we will see you in your dreams. Yeah.